Section 24 of Mary Schweidler, The Amber Witch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mary Schweidler, The Amber Witch by Wilhelm Meinhold. Translated by Lucy Duff Gordon. The Twenty-Ninth Chapter of Our Next Great Sorrow and Final Joy. And now might we have been at rest, and have thanked God on our knees by day and night. For besides mercifully saving us out of such great tribulation, He turned the hearts of my beloved flock, so that they knew not how to do enough for us. Every day they brought us fish, meat, eggs, sausages, and whatsoever besides they could give me, and which I have since forgotten. Moreover, they, every one of them, came to church the next Sunday, great and small, except goodwife Kleena of Zimpen, who just got a boy and still kept her bed. And I preached a thanksgiving sermon on Job chapter 5, 17, 18, and 19 verses. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. For he maketh sore, and bindeth up, and his hands make whole. He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. And during my sermon I was oft-times forced to stop by reason of all the weeping, and to let them blow their noses and I might truly have compared myself to Job, after that the Lord had mercifully released him from his troubles, had it not been for my child, who prepared much fresh grief for me. She had wept when the young Lord would not dismount, and now that he came not again she grew more uneasy from day to day. She sat and read first the Bible, then the hymn-book, item the history of Dido in Virgilius, or she climbed up the mountain to fetch flowers, likewise sought after the vein of amber there, but found it not, which shows the cunning and malice of Satan. I saw this for a while with many sighs, but spake not a word, for, dear reader, what could I say? Until it grew worse and worse. And as she now recited her Carmina more than ever both at home and abroad, I feared lest the people should again repute her a witch, and one day I followed her up the mountain. Well a day she sat on the pile which still stood there, but with her face turned toward the sea, reciting the verses where Dido mounts the funeral pile in order to stab herself for love of Aeneas. At trapida et quiptis imanibus effera Dido, sanguineum vorvens ancium, maculisque trementis, interfusa genus, ad pallida morte futura, interiora domus irumpit limina et altos, crescendit ferabundo rogos. When I saw this, and heard how things really stood with her, I was affrighted beyond measure, and cried, Mary, my child, what art thou doing? She started when she heard my voice, but sat still on the pile, and answered, as she covered her face with her apron, Father, I am burning my heart." I drew near to her and pulled the apron from her face, saying, "'Wilt thou then again kill me with grief?' Whereupon she covered her face with her hands and moaned, "'Alas, father, wherefore was I not burned here? My torment would then have endured but for a moment, 
but now it will last as long as I live." I still did as though I had seen naught, and said, "'Wherefore, dear child, dost thou suffer such torment?' Whereupon she answered, "'I have long been ashamed to tell you. For the young lord, the young lord, my father, do I suffer this torment. He no longer thinks of me, and, albeit he saved my life, he scorns me, or he would surely have dismounted and come in a while, but we are a far too low degree for him." Hereupon I indeed began to comfort her and to persuade her to think no more of the young lord, but the more I comforted her the worse she grew. Nevertheless I saw that she did yet in secret cherish a strong hope by reason of the patent of nobility which he had made me give him. I would not take this hope from her, seeing that I felt the same myself, and to comfort her I flattered her hopes, whereupon she was more quiet for some days, and did not go up the mountain, the which I had forbidden her. Moreover she began again to teach little Posh her goddaughter, out of whom, by the help of the all-righteous God, Satan was now altogether departed. But she still pined, and was as white as a sheet and when soon after a report came that none in the castle at Melanthine knew what was become of the young lord, and that they thought he had been killed, her grief became so great that I had to send my ploughman on horseback to Melanthine to gain tidings of him. And she looked at least twenty times out of the door and over the paling to watch for his return. And when she saw him coming she ran out to meet him as far as the corner by Pagels. But, blessed God, he brought us even worse news than we had heard before, saying that the people at the castle had told him that their young master had ridden away the selfsame day whereon he had rescued the maiden. That he had, indeed, returned after three days to his father's funeral, but had straightway ridden off again, and that for five weeks they had heard nothing further of him, and knew not whither he was gone, but supposed that some wicked ruffians had killed him. And now my grief was greater than ever it had been before. So patient and resigned to the will of God as my child had shown herself heretofore, and no martyr could have met her last hour stronger in God and Christ, so impatient and despairing was she now. She gave up all hope, and took it into her head that in these heavy times of war the young lord had been killed by robbers. Nought availed with her, not even prayer for when I called upon God with her, on my knees, she straightway began so grievously to bewail that the Lord had cast her off, and that she was condemned to naught save misfortunes in this world, that it pierced through my heart like a knife, and my thoughts forsook me at her words. She lay also at night, and, like a crane or swallow so did she chatter, she did mourn like a dove, her eyes did fail with looking upward because no sleep came upon her eyelids. I called to her from my bed, Dear child, wilt thou then never cease? Sleep, I pray thee. And she answered and said, Do you sleep, dearest father? I cannot sleep until I sleep the sleep of death. Alas, my father, that I was not burned! But how could I sleep when she could not? I indeed said, each morning, that I had slept a while in order to content her, but it was not so. But, like David, 
All the night made I my bed to swim. I watered my couch with my tears. Moreover, I again fell into a heavy unbelief, so that I neither could nor would pray. Nevertheless, the Lord did not deal with me after my sins, nor reward me according to mine iniquities, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great was his mercy toward me, miserable sinner. For mark what happened on the very next Saturday. Behold, our old maidservant came running in at the door, quite out of breath, saying that a horseman was coming over the master's mount, with a tall plume waving on his hat, and that she believed it was the young lord. When my child, who sat upon the bench combing her hair, heard this, she gave a shriek of joy, which would have moved a stone under the earth, and straightway ran out of the room to look over the paling. She presently came running in again, fell upon my neck, and cried without ceasing, "'The young lord! The young lord!' Whereupon she would have run out to meet him, but I forbade her, saying she had better first bind up her hair, which she then remembered, and laughing, weeping, and praying, all at once she bound up her long hair. And now the young lord came galloping round the corner, attired in a green velvet doublet with red silk sleeves and a grey hat with a heron's feather therein. Summa, gaily dressed as beseems a wooer. And when we now ran out at the door, he called aloud to my child in the Latin, from afar off, Quomodo stat docissima virgo? Whereupon she gave answer, saying, Bene te aspecto. He then sprang smiling off his horse, and gave it into the charge of my ploughman, who meanwhile had come up together with the maid. But he was affrighted when he saw my child so pale, and, taking her hand, spake in the vulgar tongue, My God! what is it ails you, sweet maid? You look more pale than when about to go to the stake. Whereupon she answered, I have been at the stake daily since you left us, good my lord, without coming into our house, or so much as sending us tidings of whither you were gone." This pleased him well, and he said, "'Let us first of all go into the chamber, and you shall hear all.' And when he had wiped the sweat from his brow, and sat down on the bench beside my child, he spake as follows, that he had straightway promised her that he would clear her honour before the whole world and the selfsame day, whereon he left us, he made the worshipful court draw up an authentic record of all that had taken place, more especially the confession of the impudent constable, item that of my ploughboy, Klaus Niels. Wherewith he rode throughout the same night as he had promised to Ankom, and next day to Stettin, to our gracious sovereign, Duke Boguslaw, who marvelled greatly when he heard of the wickedness of his sheriff, and of that which he had done to my child. Moreover, he asked whether she were the pastor's daughter, who once upon a time had found the signet-ring of his princely highness Philippus Julius of most Christian memory in the castle garden at Volgast, and, as he did not know thereof, the duke asked whether she knew Latin. And he, the young lord, answered yes, that she knew Latin better than he did himself. His princely highness said, then indeed it must be the same." And straightway he put on his spectacles and read the acta himself. Hereupon, and after his princely highness had read the record of the worshipful court shaking his head the while, the young lord humbly besought his princely highness 
to give him an amende honorable for my child, item the terras commendatitias for himself to our most gracious emperor at Vienna, to beg for a renewal of my patent of nobility, seeing that he was determined to marry none other maiden than my daughter so long as he lived. When my child heard this, she gave a cry of joy, and fell back in a swoon with her head against the wall. But the young lord caught her in his arms and gave her three kisses, which I could not then deny him, seeing as I did with joy how matters went, and when she came to herself again he asked her whether she would not have him, seeing that she had given a cry at his words. Whereupon she said, "'Whether I will not have you, my lord, alas, I love you as dearly as my God and my Saviour. You first saved my life, and now you have snatched my heart from the stake, whereon without you it would have burned all the days of my life." Hereupon I wept for joy, when he drew her into his lap, and she clasped his neck with her little hands. They thus sat and toyed a while, till the young lord again perceived me, and said, "'What say you thereto? I trust it is also your will, Reverend Abraham?' Now, dear reader, what could I say, save my hearty good will, seeing that I wept for very joy as did my child? And I answered, How should it not be my will, seeing that it was the will of God? But whether the worthy good young lord had likewise considered that he would stain his noble name if he took to wife my child, who had been habit and repute a witch, and had been well-nigh bound to the stake? Hereupon he said, By no means. For that he had long since prevented this, and he proceeded to tell us how he had done it. Namely, his princely highness had promised him to make ready all the scripta which he required within four days, when he hoped to be back from his father's burial. He therefore rode straightway back to Melanthon, and after paying the last honour to my lord his father, he presently set forth on his way again and found that his princely highness had kept his word meanwhile. With these scripta he rode to Vienna, and, albeit he met with many pains, troubles, and dangers by the way, which he would relate to us at some other time, he nevertheless reached the city safely. There he by chance met with a Jesuit with whom he had once upon a time had his locomentum for a few days at Prague, while he was yet a studiosus. And this man, having heard his business, bade him be of good cheer, seeing that his imperial majesty stood sorely in need of money in these hard times of war, and that he, the Jesuit, would manage it all for him. This he really did, and his imperial majesty not only renewed my patent of nobility, but likewise confirmed the amende honorable to my child granted by his princely highness the duke, so that he might now maintain the honour of his betrothed bride against all the world, as also hereafter that of his wife. Hereupon he drew forth the acta from his bosom, and he put them into my hand, saying, And now, Reverend Abraham, you must also do me a pleasure, to wit, to-morrow morning, when I hope to go with my betrothed bride to the Lord's table, you must publish the bands between me and your daughter, and on the day after you must marry us. Do not say nay thereto, for my pastor, the Reverend Philippus, says that this is no uncommon custom among the nobles in Pomerania, and I have already given notice of the wedding for Monday at mine own castle, whither we will then go and where I purpose to bed my bride. 
I should have found much to say against this request, more especially that in honour of the Holy Trinity he should suffer himself to be called three times in church according to custom, and that he should delay a while the espousals. But when I perceived that my child would gladly have the marriage held right soon, for she sighed and grew red as scarlet, I had not the heart to refuse them, but promised all they asked. Whereupon I exhorted them both to prayer, and when I had laid my hands upon their heads, I thanked the Lord more deeply than I had ever yet thanked Him, so that at last I could no longer speak for tears, seeing that they drowned my voice. While the young lord his coach had driven up to the door, filled with chests and coffers, and he said, Now, sweet maid, you shall see what I have brought you. And he bade them bring all the things into the room. Dear reader, what fine things were there, such as I had never seen in all my life! All that women can use was there, especially of clothes, to wit bodices, plaited gowns, long robes, some of them bordered with fur, veils, aprons, item the bridal shift with gold fringes, whereon the merry lord had laid some six or seven bunches of myrtle to make herself a wreath withal. Item there was no end to the rings, neck-chains, ear-drops, etc., the which I have in part forgotten. Neither did the young lord leave me without a gift, seeing he had brought me a new surplice, the enemy had robbed me of my old one, also doublets, hosen, and shoes, summa whatsoever appertains to a man's attire. Wherefore I secretly besought the Lord not to punish us again in his sore displeasure for such pomps and vanities. When my child beheld all these things, she was grieved that she could bestow upon him naught save her heart alone, and the chain of the Swedish king, the which she hung round his neck and begged him, weeping the while, to take it as a bridal gift. This he at length promised to do, and likewise to carry it with him into the grave. But that my child must first wear it at her wedding, as well as the blue silken gown, for that this and no other should be her bridal dress, and this he made her promise to do. And now a merry chance befell with the old maid, the which I will here note. For when the faithful old soul had heard what had taken place, she was beside herself for joy, danced and clapped her hands, and at last said to my child, Now to be sure you will not weep when the young lord is to lie in your bed. Whereat my child blushed scarlet for shame, and ran out of the room. And when the young lord would know what she met therewith, she told him that he had already once slept in my child her bed when he came from Gutzkow with me, whereupon he bantered her all the evening after that she was come back again. Moreover, he promised the maid that, as she had once made my child her bed for him, she would make it again, and that on the day after to-morrow she and the ploughman too should go with us to Melanton, so that masters and servants should all rejoice together after such great distress. And seeing that the dear young lord would stop the night under my roof, I made him lie in the small closet together with me, for I could not know what might happen. He soon slept like a top but no sleep came into my eyes for very joy, and I prayed the live-long blessed night, or thought over my sermon. Only near morning I dozed a little, and when I rose the young lord already sat in the next room with my child, who wore the black silken gown which he had brought her, and, strange to say, 
she looked fresher than even when the Swedish king came, so that I never in all my life saw her look fresher or fairer. Item, the young lord wore his black doublet, and picked out for her the best bits of myrtle for the wreath she was twisting. But when she saw me, she straightway laid the wreath beside her on the bench, folded her little hands, and said the morning prayer, as she was ever wont to do, which humility pleased the young lord right well, and begged her that in future she would ever do the like with him, the which she promised. Soon after we went to the blessed church to confession, and all the folk stood gaping open-mouthed because the young lord led my child on his arm. But they wondered far more when, after the sermon, I first read to them in the vulgar tongue the amende honorable to my child from his princely highness, together with the confirmation of the same by his imperial majesty, and after that my patent of nobility, and lastly began to publish the bands between my child and the young lord. Dear reader, there arose a murmur throughout the church like the buzzing of a swarm of bees. N.B. These scripta were burnt in the fire which broke out in the castle a year ago, as I shall hereafter relate, wherefore I cannot insert them here in Origna. Hereupon my dear children went together with much people to the Lord's table, and after church nearly all the folks crowded round them and wished them joy. Item, old Posh came to our house again that afternoon, and once more besought my daughter's forgiveness because that he had unwittingly offended her that he would gladly give her a marriage-gift, but that he now had nothing at all. Howbeit that his wife should set one of her hens in the spring, and he would take the chickens to her at Melanthin himself. This made us all to laugh, more especially the young lord, who at last said, As thou wilt bring me a marriage-gift, thou must also be asked to the wedding, wherefore thou mayest come to-morrow with the rest. THE BRIDAL GIFTS Whereupon my child said, And your little Mary, my godchild, shall come too, and be my bridemaiden, if my lord allows it. Whereupon she began to tell the young lord all that that had befallen the child by the malice of Satan, and how they had laid it to her charge until such time as the all-righteous God brought her innocence to light. And she begged that since her dear lord had commanded her to wear the same garments at her wedding which she had worn to salute the Swedish king, and afterwards to go to the stake, he would likewise suffer her to take for her bridemaiden her little godchild, as indicium secundum of her sorrows. And when he had promised her this, she told old Posh to send hither his child to her that she might fit a new gown upon her which she had cut out for her a week ago, and which the maid would finish sewing this very day. This so went to the heart of the good old fellow that he began to weep aloud, and at last said she should not do all this for nothing, for instead of the one hen his wife should set three for her in the spring. When he was gone, and the young lord did not save talk with his betrothed bride, both in the vulgar and in the Latin tongue, I did better. Namely, went up the mountain to pray, wherein, moreover, I followed my child's example, and clomb up upon the pile, there in loneliness to offer up my whole heart to the Lord as an offering of thanksgiving, seeing that with this sacrifice he is well pleased, as in Psalms chapter 2 verse 19, the sacrifice of God is a troubled spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, shalt thou not despise. 
That night the young lord again lay in my room, but next morning, when the sun had scarce risen, here end these interesting communications, which I do not intend to dilute with any additions of my own. My readers, more especially those of the fair sex, can picture to themselves at pleasure the future happiness of this excellent pair. All further historical traces of their existence, as well as that of the pastor, have disappeared, and nothing remains but a tablet fixed in the wall of the church at Melanthin, on which the incomparable lord and his yet more incomparable wife are represented. On his faithful breast still hangs the golden chain with the effigy of the Swedish king. They both seem to have died within a short time of each other, and to have been buried in the same coffin. For in the vault under the church there is still a large double coffin, in which, according to tradition, lies a chain of gold of incalculable value. Some twenty years ago, the owner of Melanthin, whose unequalled extravagance had reduced him to the verge of beggary, attempted to open the coffin in order to take out this precious relic, but he was not able. It appeared as if some powerful spell held it firmly together, and it has remained unopened down to the present time. May it remain so until the last awful day, and may the impious hand of avarice or curiosity never desecrate these holy ashes of holy beings. End of section twenty four. The End of Mary Schweidler, The Amber Witch, by Wilhelm Meinhold, translated by Lucy Duff Gordon.